down and then really just uh, overnight, last 24 hours, God just started speaking to me uh, about something else. And so I was up this morning and, and I've just put some thoughts down. And I just want to really just share these thoughts around perspective reality. And I love what um, Kirk just brought before about keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on him. If our eyes drop off him and our eyes go on to us, there's no life in that. There's enough things going on in my personal world. If I take my eyes off him, then I'm going to be in trouble. Because if I start looking within me, Jesus said this. He said, why do you ask what clothes you're going to wear? Why do you ask what food you're going to eat? Why are you concerned with these things? These things are self-driven questions. Why are you concerned with these things? Do I not supply enough food for birds? Do I not clothe things? Seek first my reality. Seek first my kingdom. My dominion. The way I think. The way I live. Not just seek first my will and do my will. Seek first my actual reality, the way my son walked on this earth, the way my son thought, the way my son lived, the language that my son proclaimed. The son said, I'm going to the cross because I have a joy in me before me that I'm going to this thing. There is a joy that is, I can see this perspective. I can see this reality. And it's motivating me to go to the cross. Who's grateful that Jesus decided to go to the cross? The reason he could do that is because he had a joy within him that was set before him. He had a divine reality. He was seeing things that weren't at this level. They were this level because he was from this level living here. We sing this song. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, do you realize what you're singing when you sing those songs, those words? It's a shift. You're, 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 you're declaring a reality that you want. What you're singing is, God, I want to be like you. I want your reality living in me. I want all of truth in me. So I want to posture myself as you do. When I'm persecuted, I love. I don't retaliate, I love. When I go through trials and tribulations and sufferings, I embrace them. Why? Because I embrace suffering. There is a work that is produced within me. And the last bit of that is hope. Hope in who? Hope in Him. Eyes off yourself. Eyes on the prize. Embrace the pressure. Embrace what I'm doing. Embrace it. Because as you embrace it, the Bible says perseverance will come. Perseverance isn't just a, 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 an emotional rush. I get excited when I watch football. I, watch, I get excited when I watch Liverpool. Watching Liverpool is like there's highs and lows. It's like watching the Warriors. It's like you're high one week, then you're low the next for about three, and then you're high again. Oh, Suarez, when he's not biting people. He's brilliant. You know, he's doing his thing, and you're like, got a high. We won 6 0 against the Geordies last week. And then we lose until Wigan the following week. 
There's these highs and these lows, these highs and these lows. That's not perseverance. Perseverance is constant. Perseverance is moving forward and going forward and going forward. The kingdom is advancing. It doesn't go backwards. It's advancing. And it says embrace tribulation. Embrace it. Allow it to come. God even allows it. He'll even push you into it. We're going to look at today. He pushed the disciples into a boat, said, go to Bethsaida. Oh, by the way, there's a storm coming. See ya. I'm going up the mountain to pray. And I'll be with my father while you're in the middle of the ocean with the winds and the waves bucketing. And it says if you will go through the perseverance, then guess what it produces? Who can tell me? Yep. Character. And character produces hope. And hope produces a love. And a love through the Spirit of God. What is God doing in us? He's producing Himself. He is love. But if you want that work, you've got to go through the process. You've got to go through the journey with Him. It doesn't just happen because you prayed a prayer one day or I prayed a prayer one day. It's like watching Liverpool. It's up and down. It's up when that's the reality. But when you allow the Father, God, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom, come on. Come into me. The kingdom is within us. And it's a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. For the joy set before Him, in Him, He went to what I would describe as probably the most horrific death. Yes? Being crucified. Whipped before that till your flesh is literally off your body. You are unrecognizable. Naked in front of all these people. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and man has just stripped you of everything and you're standing there and then they nail you to a cross, spit on you, get in your face and say, if you are the Son, come down. And his humility and his meekness keeps him plastered there and his love for us. And then the guy says, forgive them. What sort of a God do we worship? Who is he? Do you know him? Do you really know him? Do I know him? Not know about him, but do I know him? never about what you know it's who you know and the disciples are out on the water and they think he's a ghost he's a ghost and because they think he's a ghost they're terrified think about that he's a ghost they think he's a ghost so they're perspective their reality in this moment and he's a ghost they're terrified but it's jesus it's jesus i used to think i i had these perspectives of who christians were 
before I became one, I used to think they wore socks, sandals, cardies and stubbies and were really weird. Some of them still do and still are. <laughs> That's right. They wear these types of shoes, pointy shoes and jackets and all sorts of funny things. And, and they speak this funny language and, and they do weird things, like put their hands in the air. And man, these people are weird. They're off the chart. I had this perspective, I even had a perspective of, of who I thought God was. And that formed my reality. Was it true? No. But it was my reality. My perspective was my reality, so it's true. Well, not necessarily, is it? Just because we carry a perspective and it's our reality doesn't mean it's the reality. But it's our reality. You see, they thought he was a ghost. Was Jesus a ghost? But he's, that's their reality, isn't it? And it formed the choices they made, the actions they made, which is a powerful thing. It's a scary thing, actually, because you're making decisions and choices and going down pathways because your reality, your perspective is your reality when actually reality could be right here. Four months more, you say. I say right now. No, 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 no. My perspective is my reality, so the crops are ready in four months more. No, 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 no. Now. Are you hearing me? So let's come with me to Mark 6, 45 to 52. Mark 6, 45 to 52. And before we get there, I'm going to read you this cool story. Um, about a guy that went to a, a restaurant. And I've used this story about three or four years ago, so I think maybe some of you won't have heard it. But it's quite a funny story about a Bengal tiger. He says, this, I want to start tonight by telling you a story about a man who was visiting his brother in a rural part of America. And they went out to lunch together. They went to this place called Charlie B's, which is a little pub diner, small little place with a couple of tables and some kids running around. We ordered a couple of cheeseburgers, and as we were sitting in the corner about to have lunch, the door opens, and standing in the doorway, much to my surprise, stands a straggly man with overalls, big long beard, and he's holding this very little rope about the size of my finger. Much to my surprise, at the end of this rope is a full-size Bengal tiger. That'd be interesting, eh? Imagine going downtown, and a guy sort of walks around he's got this little tiny rope and there's this massive tiger that he's walking this was in america by the way <laughs> now i don't know about you but this is not a regular occurrence in my life i'm sitting in this pub ready to eat my cheeseburger and i look at this man he's got on his leash like it's like this little puppy on the end of this thing and it's a full-size bengal tiger and all these thoughts kind of run through my mind like who is this man and why isn't he in prison? And what's the thing with this tiger? I could have sworn as I was getting ready to eat my cheeseburger, the tiger looked at me and I kind of looked back at the tiger and we kind of had this bonding moment, you know. I, I looked over at my brother and he's getting ready to eat his burger and it's kind of humorous now, but at that moment, you get a little bit terrified 
with this huge Bengal tiger looking at you, and I thought, as long as I can run faster than my brother, I'm okay. He walks in. I actually take a step back. But nobody else in the bar really is bothered by this thing. The kids keep on playing. A couple of guys are shooting pool. And the Bengal tiger goes up and he puts his front paws on the bar. And I'm there pinching myself going, is anyone seeing what is happening? The bartender goes out the back, comes back with a pound of raw hamburger, puts it on the bar. The Bengal tiger starts eating the raw meat off the bar. I mean, is this really happening or am I in Twilight Zone material? And I think, what's going on here? Because I think... The Bengal tiger, it looks vicious and it could kill anyone or anything. The Bengal tiger finishes his raw meat and sits down on the floor. And then all of a sudden, these four kids um, that are in the place come over and start to pat the tiger. I'm going, something is amiss here. Something is strange. What's the mystery behind what I do not know? I finally went over to someone and I said, what's the story? He said, oh, yeah, these two come in here every Tuesday. It's kind of their day of having a date or something. You see, this is the Bengal tiger. It was part of a circus show, completely tame, and he got old and retired. So this guy bought him and they've had this relationship for years. And every Tuesday they come in so the tiger can have his raw meat and the kids can have a play with the tiger. They pat the tiger and everything's cool. It dawned on me. I was terrified and petrified because of what I thought I knew. I had an idea in my mind and my knowledge, my perspective, which petrified and terrified me, was not actually the true reality. You see, it's not what we don't know that hinders us, but it's what we think we know that gets in the way. It's not what we don't know. It's what we think we know that we can actually hinder us from God and what he wants to do through us. Okay, so with that story in mind, let's go to Mark 6 at 45. I'm just going to read this really quickly and we're just going to give you some things. It's all about Jesus comes, walks on the water. Verse 45, Mark 6, 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. 47. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. These are some of the things we're going to pull out. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, which is Jesus feeding the 5,000, but their heart was hardened. And I want to draw us to verse 49.50 to start with and just pull some things out. 49.50 says this, 
But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out and they all saw him and were terrified. The disciples supposed. The NIV says they thought. I'll throw my little bit in here. They assumed. What does it say? Never assume anything because dot, dot, dot. So they supposed it was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost. They're looking at something and from their perspective, they're coming up with their reality. And this is a ghost walking on the water. And they were terrified because of this. Last week, I heard my four-year-old scream out, terrified. It wasn't a nightmare. I know what that was. And I acted accordingly. It's horrible when you hear your child scream a scream that is not, I'm hurt. It's a terror scream because of something that's maybe going on in the room. And then I bolted up. You wouldn't have believed it. Man, I almost ran through the door. I believe this is what the, these men are feeling. They're terrified. This is a ghost. They suppose, they think. This is a ghost. They're terrified. It was Adam's perspective. His reality in the garden. He's afraid. God comes. This is what I preached at Easter. God comes. Why is the guy afraid? Doesn't God love him? His reality, his perspective... I was afraid and I was hiding in the garden. Why? Why are you afraid? I'm God. I love you. I created you. Why are you afraid? What is it about the Israelites that when Moses comes down from the mountain, when he's been in the presence of the Lord and he's radiating the glory of God, they say, put a bag on your head. Think about that. We sing, lover of your presence. I'm a lover of your presence. I want to be in your presence. Well, here's a guy that's been in the presence of God. He's radiating the presence of God. His face is shining. And when God turns up in him, those that are singing, I'm a lover of your presence. Whoa, put the bag on your head. I don't really want to be in that. That's revealing some things maybe where I'm not. That's threatening my reality right about now. That's threatening my perspective. This is something I've never seen before. Go away. No, he's still there. Put the bag on your head. It's God. And God's walking on the water. Walking out there on the water. It's a ghost. No, it's Christ. So here's a question. 
Why is it that the disciples suppose they think Jesus is a ghost rather than who he is? Let me just throw some things out there. Number one, it was dark. Could be a reality, eh? Some Bibles say it was early in the morning. I've read one version, it says it's about four o'clock in the morning, so it's dark. But they can all see him. Okay, so that could be one thing. Number two was windy. It's a windy night. They were straining at the oars. I imagine the waves are buffering as we read in other scriptures. So you now maybe they're panicking a little bit because of the situation they're in. And so they look and they, it's dark and this is happening and they think he's a ghost. I want to suggest it's this, that there's a heart thing happening here. There's something about their heart. Because if you read other passages, when he's in the boat and he's sleeping and they wake him up because they're freaking out and he gets up and he calms everything down, they actually say these words, who is this? We're hanging out with him. We're seeing what he's doing. We're around it. We're even involved in some of his miracles. Who is he? Who is he? Not who is he. Who is he? If I was to ask us all now, and I said to you, can you articulate to me the intimacy and how well you know the person? I'm not looking for some theological PowerPoint thing or some scriptural thing. I want you to tell me your intimacy. I want you to tell me why you follow this guy. I want you to tell me why you are passionate about him. Why would you want to lay your life down? Why would you want to follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to your death sentence? Because that's where the disciples all went, didn't they? It wasn't a pretty sight for those guys. So what would it sound like? What would that come out like? Would we recite a regurgitated thing of Sunday school? Would we regurgitate someone else's message? Or would we actually be able to tell the person, he is my everything, the day I found him, life completely changed, the power that he's put in me is the motivating factor for why I'm here today. Without him, Life means nothing. If he's not existing, I don't want a bar of it. I'd rather go. What would it look like? Because these men are with him. They are around him. They've lived with him. They've just witnessed him feed 5,000 people, probably about 12 or 15. They've even handed out the bread. And when the guy walks on the water and they look and they go, it's a flipping ghost. And they're terrified. Fear or faith? Perfect love casts out what? Faith? Fear. Knowing Him. That's what He's doing here, guys. He's stripping a lot of stuff back. All the stuff. And together together he's saying come follow me come follow me to a place 
that we have never been before to an intimacy and a life and a power that I have for you. Kirk said it beautifully. God has everything for us. There's so much He has for us. It's incredible. The very best He has for every one of us. Please hear me. Please hear my heart. He has the very best for you. He has so much for you that He wants. It would radically change us all. I mean, how many want the real freedom? Really be free from your stuff. Really be free. Not just say, yeah, I'm good and I live in freedom, but be free. God is a God of the literal, the reality, not the God of the blah, blah. But you know what? It costs you something. If you want His beauty, you can't hold on to your ashes. If I want His beauty, I can't plaster on on top of the ashes. I've got to give Him my ashes. There is an exchange. But you know what? I've got to go to a place of absolute vulnerability, which is so scary... But that's where the exchange happens. It's in no other place than that. That's why we haven't yet experienced what God has for us because we haven't gone to the place of vulnerability, reliance and dependency because we're scared. It's okay. It's part of natural thing. But he says, come on, you're a people of faith. Hang on to me. I'm out on the water. I've come for you. I'm not a ghost. He came into that situation to calm it down because he saw their concern. But the Bible says he wasn't even going to. He was passing them by. And he put them in that situation. Is that the God that you worship? Do you believe that God will place you in situations to do a work in you? If you don't, then you'll go that way. If you do, you'll go this way. Scripture screams he puts his people in situations. He put his son in the wilderness where he knew the enemy would be. You've got to ask yourself, why? Because he wants to produce a work in me. He's preparing a bride. He's preparing himself in me. And I will be spotless. And I will be blameless. And I will be set apart. If I choose to enter into the process Paul said it like this, my grace, Greg, is sufficient for you. In fact, it was Jesus that said it to Paul, didn't he? What's that all about? A thorn in his flesh. Take it away from me. Three times I ask, God says, no. My power, my son, what I've done, my grace, it's sufficient for you to carry you from this place of, ah, through the process I will never leave you, forsake you. I carry you. I push you. I'm behind you. We walk together, son, as a body and boof. Freedom. Freedom. Life. Peace. Joy. The reality of it, not the, the reality. So when it happens again, you know what happens? You stand. And give glory to Him for the work He's done in you. Did you not learn from what happened with the bread? Are your hearts still hard? Greg, are you saying Christians have hard hearts? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a bit harsh. That's the truth. Can we handle the truth? There is no offense in the Spirit. 
None. When two people are in the Spirit, there is no offense. I can walk up to my brother, we can be honest in love, and I can share him some hard facts, he can can share it back, and there is Spirit unity. If I am in the flesh, when Chris comes, there is division and disunity. One heart is being exposed for what's in it, while the other heart's heart is being exposed. Pride, arrogance. If we are in the Spirit, there is no offense, no division. You know what my response is? Chris, share with me your reality. I want it. Ooh, that hurts a bit. And there's going to be a bit of a stretching. Enlarge your tent, pegs. There's going to be a stretch. But I want it. Because I know it's God. It's not a ghost. It's God. Why am I hiding behind the bush when it's God? Why do I want you to cover your face, Moses, when it's God? There's something not quite right with my heart is the reason why. Why is it that one person, what God is doing in a person can either attract or repel someone else? Why is he a ghost? They were hanging out with him before and he, he was hanging out. And he said, hey, I'm going up on the mountain to pray. You're going that way. Cool, man. Yep, sweet. And in the next minute, the guy's a ghost. What did Paul say? I pray the eyes of your will be enlightened to the what? The knowledge, the surpassing greatness, the purposes, the the enormity of what God has. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the man knew what he was praying because the man was so dysfunctional in his old nature. He needed the Spirit of God, the life of God to come, which awakened the man. And the guy is transformed and speaking a whole different language because he's in a whole different reality where he was killing Christians. He's now become one. He was actually persecuting them. He's been persecuted. Something has radically shifted in his reality, hasn't it? And that man says this to you and I, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to a reality that maybe isn't your reality. It may not be your reality. Don't know. But he's certainly praying about it very boldly. The disciples were looking with their physical eyes and not their spiritual eyes. Hence, they couldn't see Christ for who he was. Their lack of intimacy, knowing of, not about, the perspective between who they think he is and who he actually is, and their lack of understanding had them forming a perspective which was their reality, and it caused fear, not faith. Question. I wonder what would have happened if Jesus hadn't come towards them. Because he wasn't intending to. Was he? Who is this Jesus that we worship, man? Is he a puff? Is he a puff? Rub the bottle and puff up he comes. My every wish, my every desire. Or is he a Jesus that's going to stretch you? 
is here Jesus going to call you to something that really you're not really want to go to? Because it's going to require you to let go. It's going to require faith. It's going to require a whole lot of stuff. And really, God, I ain't really interested today. Maybe come and ask me in a week. He's so faithful that he does. Doesn't he? The invite is always there. But who is he? Really? Who is he? The Jesus that comes to divide families. What about that Jesus? Rub that bit out. Don't like that bit. The Jesus that said, you are not my mother and you are not my brother. Those that do the will of my father are my mother and my brother. Who is the guy? Because he's talking a language that many didn't understand on the earth. He's talking about being born again. And the guy says, what do you mean going to my mother's tummy? I'm six foot four. How is that ever going to happen? What are you talking about? I'm not talking about that. Who is he? He's not a ghost. He's real, authentic. He wants us all to know him at a measure today. I'm telling you that we do not yet know him. That I do not yet know him. The more I know him, because it's him that sets me free. So if I am in a place of struggle, I need to know him more so I can be free. The truth that sets you free is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Born again, resurrected, I've come. And I'm coming back with power and angels and my bride to establish my kingdom on the earth. That is the guy. But do we know him? Because these men thought he's a ghost. And one action is I'm living in fear. What is fear? Fear cripples a person. Faith releases a person. These men are crippled. They're walking with the guy. They've just seen him do these miracles. But yet their reality, their perspective is wrong. And he even addresses it and he says, but their hearts were still hardened. You did not have sight within you. Sight within. Not these. Here. Spiritual eyes to see who he was. It's funny how John, who the Bible says was the one that God loved the much, when he heard from the shoreline Jesus calling, Breakfast is ready. We've got some nice fish here, lads. Who's the turkey on the beach? Who was it? that said, that is the Lord. John. What's John known for? Intimacy. He heard with his spiritual ears the voice. Peter was like, what? I don't know. Peter was the first one in the water. So, what would have happened if Jesus never hadn't come towards them? Just a couple of things. Jesus, It's Jesus who tells him to go into the boat at Bethsaida. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So Jesus sent them into a storm. His father sent him into the wilderness where the enemy would be. The father sends a lot of different things when you start reading scripture. The father allows things to happen. The Father will press you and me for an outcome that's our benefit. Circumstances do it. Situations do it. The Father does it. He presses. 
Because He loves us so much and He wants you and I to receive everything He has. He is the ultimate Father like you are with your children. It's such a typology that if you can understand your own relationship with the kids and how you behave with your children, He's doing the same thing for you and I. We don't tend to see it that way. We think He's being mean, but you're being mean to your children. Greg, let Danielle... uh, Sorry, let Danielle... Let Madeline um, have the keys to the car. Whoa, hold on a minute. No, Daddy, I hate you, Dad. Any parent had that? You're not doing that. But I want to. You're not. But I want to. You're not. I'm not allowing this anymore. You're not. Why? Because you would hurt yourself. Or what I have for you, the maturity that I'm looking to do in you. You would kill yourself. Or I'm going to press and, and sometimes push our children into situations or, or encourage because of a work that's going to happen which you know is for their benefit. Because he'd be what's, what he wants to put in your hand. He's the ultimate dad. I was reading this morning as Kirk was speaking on the other side, talks about the father disciplines those he loves. And if he doesn't, you're an illeg- illegitimate child. Straight out of the book. It's not me, that's him. The second thing is he intends to pass them by. Even though he sees them straining at the oars and going nowhere and starting to panic, his intention is to pass them by. Why? God never tempts us, but he tests us because of a work he wants to produce in us. He wants his perspective, his reality to be ours. So knowing Jesus sent them into the storm and knowing he intended to pass them by, I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't come towards them. Would they have maintained their current perspective and still thought he was a ghost, which was their reality? which caused an action, and this action had them moving away from Christ and not to him and what he had for them. But we see in verse 50, Christ's compassion and love for these men to realign their perspective and reshape their reality as he makes a decision to enter the picture. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus was constantly realigning his disciples' perspective. So their perspective was his reality and their reality. And he's doing the same with us so we can come into all he has for us. I want to give you beauty. You've got to let go of your ashes. Simple. Absolute simplicity of the gospel it's deep but it's simple follow me see it's trust follow me don't ask where to you're just starting to say Jesus you're a ghost how long you're a ghost Yes, Lord, let's go. 
You notice about the disciples, what did they do? Immediately got out of the boat and followed. That's the challenge. Our perspective becomes our reality. Our reality is what we act out and we live out. doesn't mean it's reality. It's ours. There's a whole other reality could be going on. A whole non-Christian world live like this, don't they? Hell's not real. Doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. Their perspective is their reality and we see a world like it is. Doesn't mean that, that we're not affected by the same things. Our perspective of who Christ is will form our reality and things we go through and those realities we will speak out and we know that the power of life and death is right there. That's pretty heavy today, eh? Is it? I hope that is life. Spirit to spirit life. I know there's a challenge. I'm challenged. I'm challenged more and more by everything you show me. I'm like, man. But our response is, God, I want you. That's what he's looking for. It's not, oh man, I'm a loser. I was saying to Danielle this morning, his love, you can't, there's nothing that can separate you. The revelation of that will transform you. The revelation of his grace. It's not abused grace. Let's get the revelation of his grace and our lives will be a life of obedience motivated by love. And you'll see a church that is flourishing in freedom, in spirit, in life, overcoming, coming into the fullness of what God has, establishing God the things His way and seeing the fruit of that. If I'm threatened by Simon's gift, I'm in trouble. But man, he may become the senior leader here. Squash him, squash him, squash him. Because I need to hold my position or my title. Squash him. If I'm in fear of Sandra Logan or Chris Logan or whoever here, then I will squash. But if I'm in Him and my focus is on Him and my eyes are on Him, you release. One is death, one is life. But you've got to know Him to be able to do that. Because my security is in the Christ. My cornerstone, it's in me. The kingdom is in me. The Christ of that kingdom. So strip every way. Just don't take Christ off me. You do that, I'm going home. So Lord, I thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that you would... If I've said anything that's not of you, that's of me, Father, I pray that you would just kill it right now in the ears of those that are listening in my own ears. But I pray that you would enlighten, empower, illuminate the truth that is of you, Father, today. And I pray, God, that it's the truth, the Son that sets us free. It's our knowing of you intimately that sets us free. I thank you for the testimony this morning of Kirk and the changes that you're making in his life through him knowing you. And from that posture, the doing becomes easy. It becomes light. It's in your strength, not in our own. 
So, Father, just continue to build us. I pray that we would see you as the Christ, not as a ghost. We would see you as the Christ, not as the Christ we've created you to be. We would see you in the fullness of who you are, Father. And, Lord, that we would submit our lives to that and that we would build or you build, that we would position ourselves appropriately to receive all you have for us as a body, firstly, never as individuals, as a body that is made up of a whole lot of individuals. In Jesus' name, amen.